if you wanted to describe what someone has done for you, something good someone has done for you, you don't just want to say what they've done, that's important, but you also want to explain what obstacles they overcame, what challenges, what difficulties they overcame in order to do that for you. Let me give you an example. Let's say that you told someone that the Coast Guard saved you. You all know what the Coast Guard is in your countries? Okay, the Coast Guard, right, they're the ones who got boats and they save people. So you say the Coast Guard saved you, that would sound pretty impressive. But what if you told all the obstacles and difficulties they had overcome, like the Coast Guard saved me when I was in the middle of my boat, which was sinking in the middle of a hurricane with gale force winds and 50 foot waves in the middle of the night. Oh, okay, I get it. That is significant. Obstacles, difficulties, challenges that had to be overcome. The reason I mention that is that that's what Paul is doing in today's passage. He wants to help us see even more clearly the wonder of what Jesus Christ has done for us by describing the challenges, the obstacles, the things that were in the way of that happening. And the way he does this is by explaining what Adam's sin has done to the human race. Adam's sin and what it's done to the human race. So let's start with this question. What did Adam's sin do to all of us, to the human race? And look at what Paul says in verse 12 to answer that question. Therefore, Paul says, just as sin came into the world through one man, speaking of Adam, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men because all sins, and we'll pause right there. So who's the one man Paul's talking about? It's Adam. Paul's talking about the sin that Adam committed back in Genesis chapter 3. Now, Eve also committed the same sin. They both ate from the tree, as you remember. But Paul focuses on Adam because Adam is the father of the human race. So let's just remind ourselves what happened in, in those early chapters of the book of Genesis. Get, get the whole framework here. God had created the heavens and the earth. Beautiful earth. And God created Adam and Eve. I mean, think about this. He gave them life. He gave them amazing bodies. He placed them in the paradise garden of Eden. And best of all, he gave them the heart filling joy of knowing him, walking with him, fellowshipping with him. This was Adam and Eve, what God had done. And God said there was one thing that they must not do. One thing they must not do. They must not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And he said that if they ate from that tree on that very day, they would surely die. So what happened? One day, as you know, Satan came in the form of a serpent and started tempting Eve. And if you read the passage carefully, you'll notice that Adam was right there with Eve the whole time she was being tempted by Satan. He was right there. He said nothing. He didn't tell Satan to leave. He didn't encourage Eve. He, he was being tempted right along with Eve. 
as they heard Satan say, if you eat of that tree, you will be like God. And when they heard that temptation, pride rose up, envy rose up. We could be like God. The desire to be independent, the desire to be in control, the desire to be in charge. They wanted to be like God. And so they ate of that tree. They rebelled against the God who created them. They rebelled against the God who'd given them life, who'd given them perfect joy in knowing him. They rebelled against God. And just like God said, at that moment, they died. They didn't die physically, which gives us a clue to how we should understand what dying means in that passage and in today's passage in Romans 5 where Paul's talking about what happened on that day. The fact that they didn't die physically shows us that the Bible can use the word death in different ways. Sometimes it's to describe physical death as when people die physically. It's used that way often. But other times it uses, it's used to describe spiritual death, which leads to physical death ultimately, but it's more than just physical death. And that's what Adam and Eve experienced that moment. See, think about it. God had created beautiful, perfect universe, world, paradise. And up to that point, there had never been any sin. Never. But then they sinned. And the moment they sinned, everything changed. At that point, they died spiritually. Their hearts lost any desire for God. They became enslaved to sin. They became chained to sin. They were in bondage to sin. They, they experienced spiritual death, which would lead to physical death and ultimately judgment from God forever, unless they were saved, which they were. But still, this is what had happened right now at this point, dead spiritually. So with that in mind, look at verse 12 again, and, and just let this fill out what's going on here so that you can feel it a little bit more deeply. Paul says, verse 12, therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man, Adam, and spiritual death through sin. And so spiritual death spread to all men. And we know that because all sins. So notice Adam's sin did not just bring him spiritual death. It brought all of us spiritual death. The whole human race from that point on, would be born with a sin nature, would be born enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin, bondage to pride, turning from God to atheism, or turning from God to man-made religions, or turning from God to money, or whatever. From that point on, all of humanity, dead spiritually, enslaved to sin. So Adam's sin just didn't bring him spiritual death. It brought spiritual death to all of us. You feel the, the weight of that tragedy, what took place at that point. So think about this. There's two reasons we sin. You may have only thought there was one. There's two, two reasons we sin. 
One is, we see here, you may not have thought about this one, it's because Adam sinned and because we're all connected to him. Right? We're all great, 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 great grandsons, granddaughters of Adam. Right? There's that connection there. That's one reason we sin. The other reason we sin, as Paul says at the end of verse 12, is because we sinned. That is, we wanted to sin. We're enslaved to sin. This is in our nature now. I mean, think about it. How hard is it for you to feel proud or boastful about something? You have to like write that down, list of things to do today. Feel proud for a few minutes. I just find it, it just rises up very naturally for me. Am I the only one? Help me out here. Okay, there's just a few of us, okay? Like all of humanity. Or how many of you parents had to teach your child, here's how you lie? Any parents here? Where does that come from? Where does pride and boasting and lying come from? It's in our nature. It's who we are since Adam. So no one is born innocent. Because we're all attached to Adam, Adam's sin brought us all spiritual death. It brought us all slavery to sin, which leads to eternal death and punishment before God. This is true of everyone since Adam. Before Adam, no sin. After Adam, only sin. All sin. Apart from what happens through Jesus. We're going to come to that in a moment. That's Paul's first point. He wants us to feel what's happened to the human race because of Adam. Are you feeling that? Do you sense that? Massive. Just hard to wrap our minds around. It's huge. Now, if we've been paying attention to what Paul has said throughout Romans so far, at this point, Paul knows we're going to have a question. And he wants to answer it. Paul just said, verse 12, that everyone since Adam has sinned. But how does that fit with what Paul said back in chapter 4, verse 15? We'll put it up here on the screen or open your Bible to it. Here's what Paul said. For the law, Moses' law, brings wrath, but where there is no law, there is no transgression. So think about it. After Adam sinned, there was a lot of time before God gave the law through Moses. And if with no law, there's no sin... Why does Paul say that there was sin happening between Adam and Moses? Do you, do you feel the question? Why was there, Paul, was there sin between Adam and Moses? I thought you said without law, there's no violation. There's no transgression. So let's raise that question because Paul answers it in verses 13 and 14. Was there sin before Moses gave the law? Look at what he says. Start with verse 13. For sin indeed was in the world before the law was given, but sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, that's a little bit puzzling. That's a lot puzzling, but let's, let's come back to that. So sin was in the world before the law was given, before Moses' law was given. But Paul says sin is not counted where there is no law. Now, does that mean nobody was guilty of sin before Moses' law was given? No, because of what Paul says in verse 14. Verse 14, yet, even though sin is not counted, whatever that means, where there is no law, yet death reigned, spiritual death reigned from Adam to Moses, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. 
Think about what Adam's transgression was like. God had given him and Eve a direct command. Do not eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Direct spoken command. They heard it right from him. They were right face to face with God and they sinned against that. Direct, blatant violation of God's command. Now, sins that took place after Adam, God had not given all those laws, but in our consciences, we know we shouldn't murder people. We know we shouldn't lie. We know that in our hearts. And so there was still sin taking place, but maybe it wasn't quite as blatant, quite as like in your face, God, because I'm going to disobey what you explicitly told me. So there was still sin between Adam and Moses, even though it's not exactly the same as Adam's was or what happens now that we have the written law of Moses. Does that make sense? So yes, what Paul says in chapter four, verse 15, doesn't contradict what Paul says in chapter five, verse 12. Everyone since Adam has sinned, not all in the exact same way, but it's all sin against God and death reigns, spiritual death reigns over all of it. So there was sin before Moses gave the law. And then look at what Paul says in the last words of verse 14. He says, yet death reigned from Adam to Moses. So there was sin through that time, even over those whose sinning was not like the transgression of Adam, wasn't obeying a direct spoken command. And then he says that Adam, who was a type of the one who was to come. That word type is a very important word for this passage. Adam was a type picture or maybe an illustration of the one who was to come. Who's the one who was to come? It's Jesus. So Adam was a type, a picture, an illustration of Jesus. So in, in some ways, Adam is like Jesus. What ways? Let's ask that question. How do Adam and Jesus compare? There's one huge similarity we have to understand Adam transforms all those connected to him biologically, right? Spiritual death, slavery to sin. Adam transforms all those connected to him biologically. Jesus transforms all those connected to him by faith. Very different transformation, but both Adam transforms those connected to him and Jesus transforms those connected to him. But the transformation is like night and day, but that's the similarity, right? Both Adam and Jesus transform those connected to them. But the way they do this is completely different because of Adam. We're all born with sin natures. We're enslaved to sin. We want nothing to do with God. We deserve eternal punishment but what Jesus did was completely different. Look at verse 15. This is beautiful. But the free gift that is from Jesus, Paul's been talking about the free gift through the book of Romans so far, but the free gift from Jesus is not like the trespass of Adam. For if many died through one man's trespass, that's happened spiritual death because of one man's trespass, much more, <laughs> much more have the grace of God and the free gift by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, abounded for many. So see, totally different way that people are being transformed to comparing Adam and comparing Jesus. So 
So that's how Adam and Jesus are different. Adam brings us spiritual death, but Jesus brings us the grace of God and a free gift by that grace. That's what Jesus gives to us. So got this free gift being talked about here. Now, whenever a store says we've got a free gift for you, right? You want to know what that is, right? It's free. What is it? I want to find out about this free gift. So what free gift is Paul talking about in verse 15? What is this free gift? He tells us in verse 16, look at what he says. And the free gift is not like the result of that one man's sin. It's not like the result of Adam's sin for the judgment following one trespass, Adam's trespass, the judgment following Adam's trespass brought what? Condemnation. But the free gift following many trespasses brought justification. Adam's one sin brought condemnation to all because we've all sinned as a result of Adam's sin. Jesus, grace brings justification, even though there's been many trespasses. Adam brought condemnation. Just think about that. Because of Adam's sin, we all are born with a sin nature. We're enslaved to sin, bondage to sin. We're chained to sin and we face God's judgment forever. There was nothing we could do about it because we were chained to sin. Sin's what we wanted to do. Adam brought condemnation but Jesus' free gift brought justification. I hope you're learning what justification is. Paul's been talking about it a lot in the book of Romans. Let me remind you, what, what is justification? It means that because of Jesus' death on the cross, God mercifully counts our undeserving faith. We, we put our trust in Jesus. We trust him to forgive us, to change us, to fill us, to satisfy us. That, that faith is always undeserving. It's never perfect. And God counts our undeserving faith as perfect righteousness. <laughs> it's incredible. The moment you put your trust in Jesus Christ, because of Jesus' death on the cross, God counted your undeserving faith as perfect righteousness, a perfect righteousness that covers your entire life. From birth to death, all those sins covered with perfect righteousness because Jesus paid for your sins on the cross. That's justification. Your life is covered with perfect righteousness. You are completely forgiven for all of your sins. You will never face any condemnation from God. Forever you're going to have the joy of walking with your Savior like we sang earlier, having your heart filled with the the beauty, the wonder, the love of the God of the universe forever. That's what you're going to experience. Justification. Are you learning what justification is, church? Oh, you have to understand this. We're justified by faith, not by our trying to earn it by our obedience. Faith alone, as Paul's been saying throughout the book of Romans so far, that's justification. Jesus' free gift is justification. But it doesn't stop with justification. Verse 17, Paul answers another question. What does justification bring us? Our lives are covered with perfect righteousness because of God's mercy counting our faith as perfect righteousness. We're justified. What is what else does justification bring us? 
Verse 17. For if, because of one man's trespass, Adam's sin, death reigned, ruled, dominated, death reigned through that one man, much more will those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, justification, much more will we receive, much more will we reign in life. Death, spiritual death was reigning, but when we receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, justification, we start reigning, ruling in spiritual life through the one man, Jesus Christ. Now think of what this means. Again, because of Adam's sin, spiritual death reigned. Death reigned. Spiritual death reigned. It ruled over all of us. We didn't feel like we were being reigned. We're just doing what we want to do. Yeah, but we didn't want God. We constantly turned away from God. We turned away from God either in terms of blatantly disobeying him, doing like socially very unacceptable sinful things, or we did very socially acceptable sinful things like trying to be good to impress people around us. Both of those are sin. We, we were living in sin. We were under the, the reign of spiritual death. We wanted to be in charge. We wanted to be independent. So we rebelled and turned from God. And that's all because spiritual death reigned, ruled over each of us. But verse 17, Paul says that those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, justification, we are set free from the reign of spiritual death, the rule of spiritual death. And we now reign, rule with spiritual life. Massive change. Being ruled and reigned by spiritual death to ruling and reigning in spiritual life. Massive change. It's beautiful. Now, what does it mean that we reign and rule in spiritual life? What does that mean for us? What does that look like tomorrow morning when you wake up? What does it mean? It does not mean we avoid all trials. It's very clear. God has purposely allowed us to go through trials. It does not mean we never suffer. It doesn't mean we never get sick. It doesn't mean obedience is always easy. It doesn't mean there's never disappointments or heartbreak or tears. It doesn't mean those things, but what does it mean? It's beautiful what it means. It means that because we're justified, God gives us the most precious gift there is, the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives. You have the Holy Spirit living in you now because you're trusting Jesus and have been justified through faith in him. And what the Holy Spirit does is he, by his work, sets us free from the power, the rule of spiritual death. So we can rule, reign in spiritual life. Now, the million-dollar question is, how does the Holy Spirit do that? What does the Holy Spirit actually do inside of us to bring that about? This is not a one-time deal where from 
He just does that once and then we're good to go. We're, we're, we're seeking that every day. We're battling that every day. We're, we're pursuing him for that every day. He's giving it to us every day. So what does it mean? How does the Holy Spirit do that? Imagine that you start to feel tempted with despair, maybe, or greed, or bitterness, okay? Just, you know, it's just rising up in your heart. At that point, you need to remember, what's the sword of the Spirit? What sword does the Spirit use to, to slay temptation? The sword of the Spirit, Paul says in Ephesians 6, is the Word of God. That's the sword the Holy Spirit uses to put temptation to death, to put spiritual death to death. So what do you do? Well, you, you, as soon as you can, you open up the scriptures. Maybe you'll quote if you're driving somewhere, you can't open the scriptures. So you, you, you quote some scriptures to yourself, but you start to, to find relevant scriptures that'll deal with bitterness, that'll deal with greed, that'll deal with discouragement, whatever it might be. And you pray over those scriptures and you preach those scriptures to yourself. And as you do that, that's the sword of the spirit. The Holy Spirit goes to work at that point. And what you will start to feel happening in your heart is he starts to strengthen your faith. He starts to comfort you. He starts to change your heart. He gives you fresh tastes of the beauty of Jesus Christ, the joy of Jesus Christ, which is far better than any other joy sin has for you. So the sword of the spirit, as you're opening up the scriptures, praying over the scriptures, preaching the scriptures to yourself, that's the sword which the spirit uses to attack the temptations that are coming, to change your heart, to give you a fresh taste of Jesus' joy. And see, the beauty is because Jesus' joy far surpasses the joys that temptation can give us, the joys that sin can give us. Jesus' joy is far surpassing all of those. When you taste Jesus' joy afresh, it's like, oh yes, oh yes, yes. And sin's temptations lose their power. Sin's reign shrivels up and dies. Sin's authority slinks away in shame because you're tasting Jesus and sin can't match the joy that Jesus gives to us. And that's how we overcome spiritual death, temptation. That's how we reign. That's how we rule in spiritual life. And like I said, it's not a one-time battle where for the rest of your life, you're good to go. I'm fighting that battle numerous times a day, right? But see, we pull out the sword of the Spirit and the Holy Spirit goes to work and changes our hearts again and again and again and again. That's reigning in spiritual life. That's ruling in spiritual life. That's being freed from the reign of spiritual death and being transformed into reigning in spiritual life. So because of Jesus... We're justified by faith alone because he died on the cross. We're justified, perfect righteousness covering our lives. We're completely forgiven. And we have the gift of the Holy Spirit given to us. And we start to be changed. We are reigning and ruling in life. Now, there's a crucial point here, though, that Paul has not yet made yet that he wants to make sure he doesn't leave out. It's this question. How does Jesus bring us all of this? What does Jesus do to 
bring us justification, to bring us the power of the Holy Spirit. What does he do? Verses 18 and 19. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's trespass, led to condemnation for all men, all of humanity, so one act of righteousness, Jesus, one act of righteousness, leads to justification and life, spiritual life for all men. For as by the one man's disobedience, Adam's disobedience, the many were made sinners, so by the one man's obedience, Jesus' obedience, the many will be made righteous. So how does Jesus bring us justification and life? Verse 18 says it's by one act of righteousness. Verse 19, it's by one man's obedience. So what is this act of righteousness what is this obedience that Jesus does? And it's his righteousness in going to the cross. It's his righteousness in going to the cross, suffering on the cross, dying on the cross, paying for the sins of all who will trust him. That's the one act of obedience we're talking about here. Jesus was perfectly obedient to the Father all through his life, right? He was always perfectly obedient, but it's his death on the cross it's that obedience that pays for the sins of all who trust him. So as we trust him, we're justified, completely forgiven, and we're freed by the power of the Holy Spirit from spiritual death, from sin, from temptation, so we can rule and reign in spiritual life. Now, just, let me just say again, we've seen this through the book of Romans, but let's not miss this. This does not happen by our obedience. It's not because you obey so much that you're paying for your sins, you're justified, and you get the gift of the Holy Spirit. This does not happen by, it's not obedience, 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 and then justification in the work of the Holy Spirit. No, no, no. It's, what is it? Faith. Faith. I'm a sinner. I need a Savior. You've promised to save me. I'm a wreck. I trust you. If you can change me, if you can forgive me, if you can free me, help me. I trust you to do this. Faith. That's what faith is. And then because of that, you're justified by faith alone. And God gives you the Holy Spirit because you're justified by faith alone. And then obedience starts. See how that works? Don't shift those. That, that's man-made religion. You got to do this. 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 Maybe you'll earn something from God. A little bit of, no, I'm a sinner. I'm a wreck. I'm in, I'm a slave of sin. I'm in bondage. All I want to do is sin. But if you would change my heart and forgive me and fill me with your joy, do it. I trust you. I want that faith. And then comes justification. You are counted as perfectly righteous at that moment, even though you're, there's still sin going on in your heart, perfectly righteous and then the gift of the Holy Spirit, and then you start to be changed. Grace Church, do we have this down? This will change your life. This is the right foundation for your Christian life. If you have the wrong foundation, it's going to be, I mean, it's just going to be a wreck. I won't go too much more on that. Okay, so get the idea. Wreck, right? It's a wreck. Don't do it. All right, good. Now, I have to ask you this question then. Um, Where is that question? Here it is. Some of you might have noticed in verse 18 that two times Paul uses the phrase all men. 
I just need to clarify this because sadly, some people misunderstand that. Some people think, well, let's read the verse again. Verse 18. Therefore, as one trespass, Adam's trespass led to condemnation for all men. That's all of humanity. So one act of righteousness, Jesus, one act of righteousness leads to justification in life for all men. What does that mean? And unfortunately, some people misunderstand that verse and think it means that every single human being is going to be justified and going to have eternal life in heaven. It's not what Paul's saying here. We need to take verses in in context. Read the verses before, read the verses after, just... What is Paul saying here? Let's double check this. And the, the, the verse right before, verse 17, makes it clear who receives justification and spiritual life. Read verse 17 again. For if because of one man's trespass, Adam's trespass, death, spiritual death, reigned through that one man, much more will who? Those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness, they will reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ. It's those who receive. Those who receive. So when Paul talks about justification in life being given to all men, he's not talking about every human being. He's talking about all those who receive the abundance of grace and the free gift of righteousness. All those who bend the knee, trust Jesus as their Savior, as their Lord, as their treasure. I'm coming to you as a sinner. I'm trusting you. You're receiving the free gift of grace, free gift of righteousness, and the abundant grace of God through Christ. So here's the important question, one important question. Are you receiving the gift of grace and the free gift of righteousness through Jesus. Are you receiving that right now? That's the most important question you can ever ask yourself. That makes all the difference. Not, do you go to church regularly? Church is important. That's not, that's not how you receive. Not, are you, are you trying to be a good person, working hard at your job? What, no, have you received? Are you receiving the grace of God and the gift of righteousness through Christ? Are you personally trusting Jesus Christ to forgive you, to change you, to satisfy you in himself? If so, then you are freed, you are forgiven, you are righteous, perfectly righteous before God, and you will be with him forever. No condemnation, just love and joy and grace and peace forever because of Christ. Now, One more question Paul has to answer before he closes this section off. It's a strange question. Where does this question come from? Won't the law free us from sin? Now, why does Paul have to deal with that? Wasn't my question when I was reading this passage. (laughs) Here's why. Some of those listening to this letter being read at the Church of Rome were Jewish believers. Jewish background, believers in Christ. And most of the Jewish people at at that time misunderstood the Old Testament. And they thought that the way to get free from sin was by trying to obey the law. 
I'm a bad person. I sin. I've got to just try to start being obedient. I've got to try to start obeying the law. That's, that's how you get freed from sin. But that doesn't work. Have you tried that? It doesn't work. God does want people to obey his law. And God gave the law. That's one reason he gave the law to Moses. But there's another reason he gave the law to Moses. Another reason he gave the law was to show us how sinful we are. Helps us see how sinful we are. Look at the beginning of verse 20. Now the law came in to increase the trespass. See, we might think, well, if if the law is given to people, they're going to sin less then. You'd think that, right? It's not the case. Our sin is worse than that. Our sin is so bad that when the law is given to us, we sin more. Either directly rebelling against it, no one's going to tell me what to do, or I'm going to do that and really look good. Okay? Both are sin. Both are disobeying God's laws. And that's what we do when the law comes to us. We, our sin increases. So the law shows how sinful we are. And even though we're that sinful, Paul gives us good news. This is amazing what he says next. Okay, read, read all of verse 20 and then 21. Now the law came in to increase the trespass, show us how sinful we are. But where sin increased, grace abounded all the more. So that as sin reigned in spiritual death, yes, grace also might reign through righteousness leading to eternal life through Jesus Christ, our Lord. When sin increases, grace abounds all the more. Okay, so let's, let's just say if your sin weighs like five kilos, okay? You, you got five kilos of sin here. God, God offers you 10 kilos of grace then. Oh, five kilos of sin, 10 kilos of grace. Here we go. Okay, well, what, what about 20 kilos of sin? Oh, 40 kilos of grace. Coming right up. Oh, okay, wait, wait. What about 100 kilos of sin? 1,000 kilos of grace. You can't sin too much for God to forgive you through Jesus. If you're bringing 5,000 kilos of sin to the table, God's ordering up 25,000 kilos of grace for you. No one should... Turn from Christ because we think we're too sinful. Where sin increases, grace abounds all the more. So the law doesn't free us from sin. The law shows us how sinful we are. So we turn from the law and put our trust in Jesus Christ. That's how it works. Are you putting your trust in Jesus Christ? Are you receiving the free gift of his grace and the gift of righteousness through Jesus Christ? That's the question. So what does this mean for us, church? Do you see how in this passage, Paul is magnifying what Christ has done, not just by telling us what he did, but by showing us the the obstacle, the difficulties, the challenge of what he's doing. I mean, there were massive obstacles. Remember, because of Adam's sin, we were all spiritually dead. Dead, not like heart barely beating. No, stone cold dead. 
We had no interest in God. We would turn from God, man-made religions that make us look better or pursuing this, this, or this, or this. We were spiritually dead, enslaved to sin, in bondage to sin, chained to sin. We wanted to sin. Our hearts wanted to sin. That's where we were because of Adam. That's what happened to humanity. And we faced God's judgment forever as a result. That's the challenge. That's the obstacle. But Jesus died, suffered and died on the cross. And he paid for all the sin of everyone who trusts him. And so the moment you put your trust in Jesus, you are justified. Counted your, your undeserving faith counted as completely righteous, completely forgiven for all of your sins, perfectly righteous before God. He gives you the gift of the Holy Spirit. You start to be changed. That's the obstacle that Jesus overcame and the beautiful gift of what he's given to us. Even though through Adam, all of humanity was dead in sin, through Jesus' death on the cross, he makes us alive in him, ruling, reigning in spiritual life, completely forgiven, transformed, living forever in the joy of knowing God. That's what Jesus has done for us. So what does this mean for us? Four takeaways. Briefly, first, see Jesus' massive importance. I mean, Adam had a huge impact on humanity. But see, Jesus transforms everyone connected to him by faith. So love and trust Jesus Christ above all else. See his importance, number one. Number two, reign in spiritual life. Reign in spiritual life through prayer through the scriptures, battle temptation, battle discouragement, battle the, whatever Satan's throwing at us through prayer and the sword of the spirit reign in life. Are you reigning? Are you living like you're defeated? It's a daily battle for me. It's a daily battle for all of us, but let's daily battle reigning in life. Third, strengthen each other, brothers and sisters in reigning in life. Strengthen each other. Encourage each other. How's the battle going? Here's a scripture I found yesterday that was so helpful. Let's pray together about this. Would you pray with me about this? Pray together. Battle spiritually together, but encourage one another. Oh, church, we need to know each other, love each other, care for each other, share with each other, pray for each other, help each other battle. Fourth, do all you can to free others from spiritual death. All of humanity dead in sin because of Adam's sin and because of our own sin. We are surrounded by people here who are spiritually dead, who are chained to sin and bondage to sin, enslaved to sin. We're surrounded by people who are lost and we have the answer. You have the answer. Let's meet people who don't know Christ. Let's love people who don't know Christ. Let's share the good news of Jesus wisely, but let's share the good news of Jesus with people who don't know Christ. And watch what God does as we share the good news of what Jesus has done with lost people around us. So see Jesus' massive importance, reign in spiritual life, strengthen other believers, 
and do all you can to free others from spiritual death. Let's stand together and pray. We worship you, Jesus Christ, for what you've done, what obstacles you've overcome. Amazing. What a death you died, what suffering you experienced to save us. Thank you. Strengthen us, encourage us, fill us, Lord, afresh. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.